0: This podcast contains some very open conversations about parenthood and mental health, so there may be some content that listeners might find triggering or upsetting. Please listen at your own discretion, and for help or support, look at the episode description for resources. And please do. Asking for help was the best thing I ever did. I'm Laura Dockrell, and this is Zombie Mum, a podcast that aims to normalise the conversation surrounding mental health and parenthood. But this conversation is not just for parents, for there are many ways to bring a small person into this universe and each story is different. So this is an invitation for all humans to discuss the human condition and its mighty resilience and power. Voices from the perspective of both parents and children for some empathetic, compassionate, heartbreaking, heartwarming real talk. Zombie Mum is that friend that gets it, that sits with you in the storm. I suppose I wanted to make the podcast I wished existed when I was recovering. Remember to subscribe to Zombie Mum so you don't miss an episode. And if you connect with what you're about to hear, please recommend to friends and family and review on your favourite app. On today's episode, I chat with Catherine Cho. Catherine Cho, by trade, is a literary agent, but when she experienced the same beast of an illness that I did postpartum psychosis after the birth of her son Kato, she picked up the pen herself and began to write her critically acclaimed stunning memoir Inferno totally blew me away there are so many parallels between Catherine and I we're the same age both year of the tiger we live in the same area our sons are the same age so we were both unwell with the same rare illness at the same time we even work in the same industry so our memoirs releasing within months of each other side by side was a real comfort and felt very much like a Thelma and Louise moment yes we were emotionally walking down the streets completely naked but we were doing it together I caught up with Catherine where she talks to me from her home pregnant with her second baby Catherine, I am so happy to meet you. I know it's in these strange times, but we're pretty used to strange times. Yes. (laughs) So I'm aware that not everybody who is listening would have read the book. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy maybe to begin with? Sure.
1: Yeah. So I had a very uneventful pregnancy. I think much like you, it was all pretty smooth. I mean, I had gestational diabetes, but that was really just kind of a minor thing. I was induced right before my due date because they thought that my son would be big. And I think this is common for most inductions now that I hear about it. It just took ages. I had so many membrane sweeps. They had to break my water. You just feel kind of miserable throughout. And um, I developed sepsis. And so I was on all this medication and things weren't progressing. And so I had an emergency C-section, which I have to say is just going through it physically and psychologically, you're just in a state of shock. So I remember just being shocked. I was just like, okay, you know, like relieved that it was over, but then shocked when they were like, okay, this is like your baby. And because I'd had sepsis, I had to stay in the ward for an extra week. Like, um, just like you don't sleep, the constant like opening of the curtains, closing the curtains, it's so dystopian, you know, like, and like people are always checking on you and like, you know, have you fed? Have you not fed? And you hear everybody else in the ward, but you don't really know them. So you just hear them, you, you kind of know them by like, what the midwives are saying to them. Um, and everybody comes in to give you so much advice. And you just, uh, for me, at least I felt like an animal just kind of like, there to <laughs> be naked and breastfeed my son or whatever. Um, and of course, recovering from a C-section, which is, you know, also just like really traumatizing for the body.
0: But I think not many people understand how quite hellish that ward is. Like yeah. and I think in your description is bang on like the curtains being thrashed open, hearing all these voices. Could you just describe a little bit more about that holding place? Because I was there as well after an emergency yeah. C section. And when I describe it to people, people are like, what?
1: I know it's I think there are maybe like six or eight women in beds in this big room and you're separated by curtains, like shower curtains. And the lights are always on. I mean, they turn them off occasionally, but for whatever reason, nobody's sleeping. And then the partners are usually in a chair next to the bed. And so there's always going to be somebody like playing music. I remember somebody was playing music at 3 (laughs) a.m. I was (laughs) furious. Um, The midwives come to check your vitals. So you never have a sense of rest because every hour or so somebody's opening the curtains and then it's never like a sense of privacy either they just the curtains open somebody comes in takes your vitals gives you your meds and you hear the other women like having to give an update to the other midwives and it's actually there was a woman on my ward who was being told off for not having fed her twins she didn't know she was meant to feed them and like she was getting scolded and she was crying and you know people are just like very emotional and bleeding and it's a really surreal experience. It's really out of body.
0: You know, we're there because something's happened that's not gone to plan, right? So your senses are so heightened. You're also listening because someone might have lost a baby or someone's baby's not yeah. well. So you truly can't relax. And you're right about the lights. I've completely forgot about
1: that. Plus the temperature. It was I so mean, cold for me. Oh, it was ours hot was, for me. Ours was the vents were broken, I think. I think it was actually an issue because they were It was just pouring out cold air. And I remember it was just horrible. We were like all bundled up. And then you don't really know what you're doing. And then I felt like everybody was leaving before me. Because like, one by one, like the beds next to me were there being discharged. And I was just so jealous, because I really wanted to leave.
0: (laughs) And then you became unwell. So are you comfortable to
1: talk about? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So my experience is a bit strange in that. So I went home, everything was fine, in the sense that mentally, I was okay. Of course, I was tired. And just really physically draining. But I think when Cato was, so Cato's my son, when he was two months old, I had this brilliant idea that we would go to the States. Both my husband and my family are based in the States. So I just came up with this very ambitious plan to go from California to Virginia to New York. At the time, of course, when I planned it, I had no idea what it would be like to travel with a baby. And in hindsight, you know, this is a bit naive, but By the time I got to New Jersey, which was the last place, and by then my son was three months old, we were just physically really exhausted, mentally exhausted. And I guess another aspect to add is that both our parents are Korean, and Koreans have a lot of opinions and kind of superstitions around birth and babies. And it was just constant criticism, although it was very well-meant and concern and I think at the point that I was at my in-law's house, just constantly hearing that it was flu season, that I needed to make sure my son didn't get sick, he would die, you know, just constantly hearing that. It's overwhelming. And it, I felt a lot of uncertainty and doubt in myself. And it definitely pushed me to the brink where I had a complete mental collapse. It really, for me, felt like that in terms of one moment, I knew kind of what was going on. And then the next... It started for me because I looked at my son's face and his face looked like the face of a devil to me. I had this immediate sense of panic and fear. And I told my husband that I needed to leave his parents' house just because I wasn't sure what was happening or what was going on. Credit to him, he didn't ask me any questions. He immediately packed up our stuff and we checked into a hotel. And at the hotel, things just got way worse. I lost all sense of time. So I stopped experiencing time in a linear way. Um, I couldn't sleep. And at one point I thought I was hearing the voice of God telling me that I was actually dead, that my whole life was actually a simulation of hell, and that my husband was Dante, and that I was Beatrice, and that my son would have to die, and that my husband would have to be responsible. And so when I heard that, I kind of felt a sense of calm in the sense that I felt like, okay, I know what's going on now. And now I just have to ride out whatever this is. I started looking back at my life and like all the stories that I knew and my husband's life. And I made all these connections and parallels that seemed to me to make sense and to prove that we actually were in hell. At this point, my husband realized I was really unwell. And so he took me to the emergency room I was tearing off my clothes. I thought we were in like purgatory. I was like attacking the nurses. I was kept in the emergency room for three or four days. And for whatever reason, I didn't sleep at all for those days. And eventually they admitted me to the psychiatric unit.
0: There's bits of my illness that I am now proud of. And I'm like, I feel you should be so proud of as well. That ferociousness that, and actually there are, strands in it that actually are logical, that are rational, where if you are in a heightened state of danger, you might think of a get out. In your brain, you're under threat and terror. You think you're in hell. So you're actually making decisions that for you at the time, you think you're doing for the right Mm -hmm. reasons. A lot of mental illnesses comes with this stigma and this idea that it's a weakness. Postnatal depression, we hear of so much. We don't hear so much of postpartum psychosis, but it's always sort of thought of as like a kind of really damp, tea-stained pink dressing gown we're kind of muted and the whole screen is really washed out and foggy actually when you're in it it's really ferocious and powerful but even though you are scary you're scared like you're the scared one yeah that's so true and so um the hospital experience did you know you were
1: going to emergency services did um your partner let you know so he told me but obviously I think at the time I was so out of it I didn't realize and I think the reason I got triggered in the hospital room was he was saying we have to wait to see the doctors. And because I wasn't experiencing time in a linear way, to me, I was like, we're never gonna see the doctor. We're just stuck in this simulation. I kept thinking we needed to exit, which I suppose is you know, kind of ending things. And I just wanted to convince my husband that we really had to do it. I recognized that it was a hospital, but I thought it was just a fake hospital.
0: Oh, my goodness. So they thought the conspiracy
1: had gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, My poor husband was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, just,
0: it's such a... Um, I remember my sister's um, boyfriend say to me, it was a really weird paradox because you thought we were talking about you all the time, but we kind of were talking about you all the time. But it was <laughs> yeah, to like help. And I was like, is it like planning a surprise party? He was like, yeah, a bit like a surprise <laughs> party. <laughs> Even when someone's giving you medication or telling you it's going to be OK, you go... Oh, yeah, I know. But this is just the medication to give yeah. me this. And it's a constant trap. It really is. Yeah. God, that must be so scary. And actually, when I speak to psychosis wards and they say that it's always, you know, Truman Show, Black Mirror, you know, you kind of these yes. threads are just constantly the idea of being conspired against is just so potent. And it's kind of a hero story, isn't it, that you believe this thing and once I get everyone to believe me and then we'll see the ending and I'll be right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then they'll see. Then they'll know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Were you able to mother whilst you were doing all of this? No, not at all. So... My husband called his parents to take Kato and it was just completely the focus was on me. And you know, that is kind of the crazy thing is I didn't really think of him. And at the time I had been breastfeeding and that just stopped immediately, which was like physically like super painful. And I was just so lost in my own head. I really didn't think about him, I think, until I was heavily medicated in the ward and was able to kind of understand what had happened and then the ward so you were hospitalized I think it was around nine days part of the complication was I was in the US they don't have mother baby units in the US I didn't have health insurance which meant I went to a facility for people who are on Medicare Medicaid so everybody was going through their own thing you know a lot of drug addiction mental illness and I think what I realized so much was that in the States, especially, there's this revolving door of patients who come in, they're treated for a bit, and then they're released, and then they just come right back. It was a very surreal experience because nobody had the time to like sit down and tell me where I was or who I was. Yeah, So I just woke up and just was like, what's happened? And kind of had to figure it out as I went along. And amazingly, also, when I think you show up in a place like that, you just so quickly fall into line. You kind of learn what the rules are, you learn how things work, and you just kind of, you just go along with it.
0: You're actually making me well up, actually, Um, those first hours of just thinking, where the hell am I? I know you mentioned being in general psych um, as well. There's just nothing like it. And the falling in line, you're absolutely right. You don't know your destiny, how long you're going to be here for. So you think, I better get used to this place and go along with the rules. Yeah, totally. And it's not your expectation of having a baby it's not that what people no. tell you it's gonna be like
1: <laughs> I remember I just really wanted to leave it's funny because you know you're being monitored and so for me I was like I'm gonna have to behave really calmly but there's something really strange about trying not to act unwell or mentally unwell <laughs> there's something just really bizarre about that <laughs> just being, I better act sane you know sure. just, Yeah, so unnatural. And how were your family at this point, your family? When I was admitted to the emergency room, my husband decided to call my parents just because he was like, I can't handle this on my own and he needed to sleep. So he called my parents up and um, they were completely shocked. You know, they came to take care of me. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, my mother was somebody I immediately just distrusted. I thought she was an ape. You know, I thought she was a robot. Uh, I was very physical with her, which I feel terrible, you know, like my mother and I are really close. And so she just could not understand that the person in front of her wasn't me that I wasn't well. When I was saying something that was obviously wrong, rather than just kind of going along with it, she had to correct me, be like, no, that's not true. You know, so it it would just agitate me further. And my father, who I'm not very close with actually, was really great at adjusting to like the new version of me. (laughs) So he like played along, you know, like he was the only person, I still remember this, the only person that let me talk about what was going on. And I'm sure I talked for like an hour and he just listened the whole time. And and then at the end was just like, I can't promise you that you're not in hell, but as far as I know, we're not. And like, just having somebody listen, I think was just really reassuring. Um, And then they were staying at my in-law's house. And so they were really concerned, obviously, with what was happening. But they had no experience of seeing somebody go through anything mental. So for them, I think they found it very terrifying. And I think they're also very religious. So... For them, it felt almost demonic, I guess. There was like that aspect of it. Sure,
0: that's you've touched on so many interesting points there. I think, first of all, I loved is you saying the new version of me because one thing I really struggled with was when people would say, it's not you, it's the illness, and that would actually scare me more because I'd be like, yeah. well then, <laughs> have I been hijacked by <laughs> some ghoul? Like, where actually now... It's helped me come to terms with my illness when I think no that was me it was obviously me it was the alarm system of my body had been raided and I was panicked so I love that the new version of, of me is so just lovely and absolutely I think there is somebody kind of antagonizing or debating your delusions at the time but you can't win, can you? Your loved ones. No, of
1: course not. They <laughs>
0: agree with you and then they're in trouble because then they go, it inflames it and they don't agree with you and then everyone's against you and then they become sort of X listed, don't they? Like, yeah. Like you're, uh, you're um, Uma Thurman and Kill Bill and you're like, can't trust that person. Hank. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely. Um, had delusions also against my mum, and my sister always jokes now. She's like, Could you not have said some more like home truths about our parents <laughs> in your psychosis so we could have got some things off our chest? <laughs> um, but then the religion aspect, because I think that really plays into psychosis, especially that kind of higher power. Could you just quickly talk about that? Because I think it feeds into mental illness so strongly, or health in general, mm-hmm. I suppose. It's one thing to, to for anybody to admit that they're unwell psychologically. And then if they come from a family with extremely religious values,
1: that must be so difficult. My family is very religious, very Christian. My husband's family is very Christian as well. And my husband, I think, would categorize himself as an atheist. He's very... Actually, one thing that was funny is they were like, maybe this will help James turn to God. And he was like, no, this is not. <laughs> yeah, someone said that to him. And he was just like, no, this is not. No, no, not. Enough. And where yeah, is no. God? Where is God
0: in this moment?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was like, that's like the complete opposite. Um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting because I wouldn't say I'm particularly religious, but so much of my psychosis was about this like angels and demons and thinking that I was in hell and, Certain nurses, I thought, were certain guardian angels. And yeah, it was just a lot. Because so much about Christianity is about guilt and fate and sacrifice. I mean, it helped my family and I think my husband's family process it, their faith. But it was definitely kind of just a, something that came up from my past that suddenly was present again. So let's
0: talk about you, I guess, writing about this. How did it happen that you decided to write about it?
1: Like you, and I think for a lot of women who've had postpartum psychosis, I had a very deep depression. And in many ways, I found that almost the hardest part. It was just so physical. It was so unending, so hopeless really. And for me, it was a shock too. I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I didn't expect to feel that way. So I had that for a good two months. And while I was kind of in the depression, I was thinking about why this had happened. And I was keeping a journal. And I had never heard of postpartum psychosis until I'd actually gone through it and had the diagnosis. (laughs) I was like, oh, this would have been nice to to hear about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was initially wanted to write like a guardian article, like some kind of like this can happen. So I was trying to write it. And the more I tried to write it, the less it made sense because I realized it's just so hard to communicate that kind of level of collapse without knowing what was actually at stake to begin with. Sure. And so then I was like, maybe I should try to write it as like a book. And at that point, I was slowly crawling out of my depression. And I wrote it very quickly. And like the first draft was about two months. And then I went back to work and I didn't tell anybody at work what had happened. Um, I just kind oh of... God went through it. I know um, people always find this a bit surprising is I'm actually a very private person. (laughs) So (laughs) I know that that kind of has gone out the window now. But yeah, I I didn't really talk about anything. Nothing takes your dignity away, though, like motherhood, boy. Yeah, I know. It's just like, oh, here we here we all are. Um, And I was really lucky to find an agent who actually worked for my sister agency um, at Curtis Brown. And she's a mother of three. And she really specializes also in mental health. And so I sent it to her kind of surreptitiously, and then we worked on it together. And so people at work found out when we sold the book, they were like, okay, yes. And for me, I wanted to write it to really tackle that sense of shame and stigma, because I think that's what really struck me. The APP Forum, Action and Postpartum Psychosis Forum, I joined that when I was in my depression. And just reading all these threads of women, really just like feeling this shame and hating themselves and just not forgiving themselves for what they had been through, I think just really struck me. And even when you Google postpartum psychosis, you just hear these stories of like women who have killed their babies or hurt their babies, or it's just a lot of shock factor. And I just wanted to show, actually, this can happen to anybody, even without a history of mental illness. And so many women go through variations, obviously not to the degree that we've been through, but whatever those feelings... It's actually very common.
0: You're speaking my language, babes. (laughs) The shame was so big. I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can front this. And that's just so sad to think what you've been through anyway, what any parent goes through when they make a new person, however they bring a little person into this world, is strong is not even the word that you can't even use that. It's not about strength, just survival, getting through that bit. (laughs) But then to have gone through what we've had and then to feel bad for that. Very true. <laughs> so then the book came out. How did it feel? Have your family read it? You know, what's the reaction been like?
1: I mean, so I wrote it without thinking about other people reading it. And I think you, you kind of have to do that. Otherwise there's so many truths that could be hurtful that you, you know, I actually asked my parents not to read it just because I felt like they would find it really difficult. And my family's, I think is a bit strange in that sense and that they're not curious. <laughs> okay. My parents are like, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, we won't read it. That's fine. <laughs> um, my, my brother read it and he really loved it, which meant a lot to me because we we're super close and, you know, he, he featured a lot kind of, you know, in my psychosis and just like helping me recover. And it, I, hadn't realized how much it would mean to me for him to actually say, you know, I think the way you depicted it was, you know, the way it was. But that that did mean a lot. So James's family was very curious, and I didn't feel like I had the right to tell them, don't read it. <laughs> so they've read it. And I think, to be honest, they were very hurt by it, in that for them, so much of what happened was because I didn't follow the rules. It was because I didn't stay home. It was because I... Wasn't isolating myself. And from my perspective, it's because of their worry and concern and anxiety. They were really shocked by that. Even though we'd expressed that that was what had triggered it, they hadn't really seen it that way. So I think for them, it was just a real shock. And I tried as much as possible in the book to be fair, you know, to show that there was nothing malicious, you know, that it was coming from a place of love of course, it's hard to read about yourself in a way of being the cause of somebody's mental breakdown. You know, that that is difficult. You know, we've kind of talked about it and I don't bear any ill will. Like I know it's so much of it was just the situation and so much of it was just me. But that is difficult. And I think probably for anyone who writes a memoir about other people, it is hard when you see it affect them. Um, yeah.
0: I just want to say now then, bring on to your amazing new news, which is that you're pregnant again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. honestly. Thank you. Bigger than a book coming out, that's <laughs> the most wonderful news, is that after everything that has happened, and I don't want to use that word brave, because whenever anyone tells me I'm brave for the book, I'm like, I shouldn't have to be bloody brave. This <laughs> happened to me, you know? <laughs> but that is a real fairy tale, is that you've gone on to have this experience and yet you've still you're making another baby it hasn't scarred you enough and that your your body and your mind have healed you but also it's not like you're you know people go you forget about it oh no you don't forget about it babes no (laughs) you truly don't forget about it but yet you've you've actually sewn it into the tapestry of yourself as a person and you're going on to do this again I think it's really cool that you are (laughs) um so I guess how has your pregnancy been that's my first question
1: yeah, well, it's very strange being pregnant in a pandemic, and I have to say one thing: it's made me think about is, I would hate to go through psychosis during this time. I, oh, no. I think I, my heart breaks for all the women who are pregnant right now for the first time. I just think it'd be so difficult.
0: The conspiracies would be off the chain. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, yeah, it just oh, it would be horrible. No, it's been very uneventful. You know, I have the diabetes again. Um, I'm having a C-section this time, um, which it's always funny because every time you see a new midwife, they just want you to explain why and then they go through your notes and they're like, oh yes, they, you you hear the moment when they scroll down to psychosis and they're like, okay, yeah, Okay, sure. <laughs> you do you, uh, but <laughs> I've, yeah, you do." <laughs> but I've had to explain it like now like a dozen times, I think, each yeah. time I've met a new midwife um, yeah, and after a while course. you're just like, yeah, just please book the date. <laughs> and the NHS has been amazing. So I have a perinatal team. I actually have the same psychiatrist that I had the first That's time. Great. She's She's incredible and... Um, we are going to try to plan for every situation. I'm very calm. I think my husband <laughs> still, <laughs> you know, we. I had to really persuade. I was the one who was ready to have another and he really wasn't. And he was kind of like, I don't know if I ever would be. And in a way, I think it's because it's so hard to watch somebody you care about go through that experience and feel kind of left behind. I think it's really traumatizing, actually. And when he heard, I think it was our psychiatrist who said like, you have a 50% chance of recurrence. And he was like, well, that's it. We're not not having a baby. But we talked about it a lot. And I just said, you know, I really think the situation would be completely different. I wouldn't have that sense of uncertainty or doubt. I feel really secure in myself. And then he was kind of like, okay, like, you know, we can think about it. But yeah, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. (laughs) I don't want to be naive. But at the same time, I do think, all of that kind of weight of being a first time mother is not there this time.
0: I think also having that, having the book, you can look across the room and see that amazing book that you've put it all inside. And that's that, you know, you're like, I have not sealed it off ever. It will never be sealed off. It's it's trauma and it belongs to you. But as you say, you've got the insight and you don't have the doubt or the uncertainty. I just think that is such a big gift and you're not letting that ruin your future you know you're going again i mean i totally agree with you the effect it has on the partner is just shattering they're kind of watching the love of their life going through this they're redundant they're also exhausted themselves their sense of expectation they're not going through it and it is invisible i mean for us let's be honest it didn't get invisible (laughs) 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 it gets to the point it's very very much alive and um yeah but it it is. I mean, t- I can completely see why James would have his um, reservations. But and so this is my question. Will you be doing the Korean cultural traditions this time round? Or are you going to eat seaweed soup, babes?
1: I think I think the seaweed soup is. <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to happen. <laughs> but the and the confinement, which is funny enough, is lockdown. is lockdown. kind of forced out like the no guests for 21 days. We're not going to have guests, obviously. And. I am going to be having to stay put. So yeah, <laughs> to some, I mean, I'm definitely going to shower after as I, I cannot, because I think one of the rules is no showering for a week. But I was like, yeah, I'm I'm showering the moment I can. So
0: yeah, I've been yeah. like fingered by five people. I think yeah, I need I to be showered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, just to finish, I guess,
0: how has this experience informed you as a mom?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I think for me, it, makes me have a lot more compassion and kindness, not just to myself, but to other mothers. I think there's so much, for whatever reason, and I I still don't understand why, just judgment and pressure that comes with being a mother that I think having gone through it, and really, if you look at it from a a failure point of view, if you use that word or type of language, really breaking as a mother, having that happen is a really humbling experience but also knowing and accepting that that's okay and I'm still a really good mother to my son. And that level of understanding and acceptance just really prevents you from feeling any kind of, I have no judgment now for anyone, any mother, you know, (laughs) you do what you have to do, you survive. And yeah, I just, it's almost laughable when I see people post things about, you know, whatever they have to say. And I'm just like, that's just, that's ridiculous. You know, just... We're all just trying to survive and we're all doing incredible things. So So
0: a passport to free, it's like liberating, isn't it?
1: It is so liberating, for sure. Um, How did you get back to Catherine? It took a long time and it's so weird. I don't know how I feel, but sometimes I question whether I am back to myself just because I was on medication for such a long time that I forgot what it felt like to be normal. And, you know, James told me many times that I wasn't myself even though I felt like myself so that's a really strange thing for someone to tell you you're being really cold you're being really reserved that's not how you would be and I was like am I like I I feel fine um writing the book did help you know talking to other women who've been through it has helped for sure and I think just kind of reminding myself that I am more than the experience has also helped as well
0: do you know, Catherine, it's just been so amazing meeting you. I just think what you've been through is just unbelievable. And it's reminds me, you know, I think it's unbelievable. And then I think, God, I've done the same thing. And you've it's just, done,
1: yeah. You, we both survived. Yeah, yeah. We really survived.
0: <laughs> we really did. Thank you so much for giving us thanks your so time. Much. And it's so, yeah, I'm just so happy so much, that Laura. you guys are well and good luck with everything. Thank you. If you have been affected by any of the themes in this programme, head to the episode description for resources and helplines. Zombie Mum was produced by B. Duncan, with original music by Hugo White. It was mastered by Ben Williams. The executive producer was Hannah Walker-Brown. This is a Broccoli production. Next week, I'm talking to Joe Wicks. Here's a sneak peek from our conversation. The more you practice just like reacting differently and having that moment to kind of just pause and breathe and respond differently then it becomes like a bit more habit like you know and so you don't have to be that screaming parent or shouting and slamming doors and running away when things get tough and that's kind of like what I would have done as a kid and I really know the importance of like demonstrating um, emotional control in front of Indy like so I don't want to scream and shout and react angrily because it it, it means that she's gonna think that's okay and so I'm really conscious that you are, you are teaching them right now how they're gonna interact as adults and what they're gonna to tolerate and think's normal. And so that for me is always on my mind. I'm always thinking about how Indy's perceiving me and how she's learning what the world should be like. And so, yeah, that really motivates me to wanna to learn and be the best dad.